0: Hello and welcome to the Antifada, where unrest is best.
1: I'm Jamie Peck. I'm Sean KB.
0: And we are here with a returning guest today, Brandon Sutton, a.k.a. Pretty Bad Lefty on Twitter, and host of the Discourse Podcast. How's it going, Brandon?
2: It's going great. You know, pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for coming. We are on a pretty good streak, I gotta say, of having on other people who also have podcasts. Uh, it's typically like a pretty good bet that they're going to be able to talk a lot on the mic. Yeah, and no, uh,
1: no offense to our non-podcast having guests, but it's nice to work with professionals, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No one's ever accused me of not
2: being able to talk a lot, so, you know, that's, mm-hmm. just, <laughs> that's just the uh, market value of me.
0: Excellent. That's, uh, that's good to hear. That's we know. <laughs> that's why we like you. So um, I figure we could start off by asking, "How is everybody's fourth of July weekend?" Maybe we should let our guests go first.
2: Well, mine was fine. I mean, pretty uneventful. I spent around. I spent my time watching American movies, um, movies that reminded me of America, which tend to just be like '90s disaster movies, um, like Armageddon, Independence Day, basically anything by Roland Emmerich or Michael Bay, or um, I would say Joel Schumacher, but no, I'm sorry, R.I.P. But yeah, so basically Independence Day, Armageddon, uh, you know, Deep Impact. Anything where America's being destroyed, essentially. Red Dawn.
0: Nice. So imperialism in space is what you're saying.
2: I think of it as space uh, deciding to cancel Earth.
0: Mm. Yeah, fair enough. These are, all, these are not very Posada's films. It's worth uh, mentioning. Um, I think a lot of the vision, especially in the post 9-11 era of the aliens was a uh, projection because that is what the people of America would be doing to the aliens if we could, you know, so why wouldn't the aliens be just as shitty and aggressive as us? That's
2: true. Although I feel like the sort of disaster films that came out, the ones typified by like the Independence Day streak that like really revitalized, I guess, the summer blockbuster or reinvented it, really. They kind of stopped around nine eleven. right? I mean, I mean, for, probably for obvious reasons, because before nine eleven, I think there's a certain truth to the idea that Americans liked seeing American uh, iconography and American architecture like the White House for, you know, or... You know, uh, the Washington Monument or Empire State Building be destroyed by, you know, these aliens or events because that just like there they're lacked realism in that for Americans. Not in the same way that people who had, you know, in European countries who had been destroyed by World War II or shelling by the Nazis wouldn't find as appealing. And once 9 11 happened, you sort of see a gradual decline of that in the media.
1: Yeah, it's uh still still too soon I think for that in the media. Um even 20 years later. For my 4th of July, uh, we went to the beach, which was really incredible, and then despite the landlords trying to keep us off the roof, we managed to break our way up there, and everybody from the building was up, and we drank a bunch, and we shot off our own fireworks, but I will say, the CIA must have really been out there doing COINTELPRO in Brooklyn on 4th of July, because there were fireworks everywhere, it was popping off, it was like the Battle of Brooklyn all over again, and you love to see it, it was beautiful. Beautiful.
0: Yeah, I had a similar experience actually. Um went over to Virgil's house. He's alive and well. I was just joking before about how he was dead, in case anyone thought I was serious. Um turns out Virgil has a very nice roof and I had never been up on that roof before, despite going over to his house many times, which is like I feel like it's a very typically Virgil thing to do, to have a really nice roof that he never goes up on. But um we went up on the roof we watched the fireworks it was insane it was was real like i'd never seen anything like it like people had really good fireworks coming from every direction it was crazy
1: even as a uh, staunch anti-imperialist as i am i do appreciate just the idea like the archetypal july 4th because it's a It's a holiday with no pretensions, right? Christmas, it's got that whole, you know, Santa Christian vibe to it. It's supposed to be like a nice sit-down holiday with your family, give out presents, do consumerism and shit. Thanksgiving, the same thing. It's kind of solemn. You know, you're giving thanks to you know the people around you and your ancestors. But Fourth of July is simply about drinking, blowing shit up, and grilling. And if we know one thing about America, right now everyone just wants to grill. Mm
0: -hmm. Get grill-pilled.
1: I mean, I've been watching a lot of King of the Hill. So, yeah, you know, uh,
2: you want to taste the meat, not the not the charcoal, obviously. Taste the meat, not the you heat. Want... There it is. Want...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take the fun. Leave the uh, military industrial complex, if possible. I don't know. Um, also, like, did you guys see, I, I mean, I know, I'm sure you saw the conspiracy theories about the fireworks and then Macy's had that terribly timed announcement where they were like, this year for fireworks we will be doing uh we'll be doing fireworks at random places around the city for a a brief period of time each time and like basically everything that people thought was like the cia and they're gonna do it on like different days leading up to the fourth of july and i'm like what the fuck has it just been macy's all along like what's going on here
2: I mean, that makes as much sense as anything else. I mean, Macy has all these backup uh, fireworks from their, I guess, canceled Coney Island 4th of July uh, fireworks extravaganza. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, really, the fireworks situation kind of got overblown. I'm surprised people were taking it so seriously. I was, like, joking about it, but, uh, you know, everyone is in quarantine now, so you can't joke online because everyone will take everything incredibly seriously as though, like, the cops are monitoring uh, fucking Twitter to, to like justify cracking down on fireworks. So I mean, really, the, the, the question NSA is has
1: like, so many powers. Uh, they're, the Twitter is like the last thing they need to be doing. They can hear everything we say, everything we do. They don't need to troll Twitter.com.
0: Yeah, they're probably listening That's right me. now. Hi NSA. I mean, I ho-
2: I honestly hope that the NSA is, is reading my sex so that they can learn how to do it properly, frankly. Um they ha- they just like Alan Dershowitz, I'm gonna give I'm gonna waive my non existent right to privacy in order to uh allow the NSA to learn to learn a little bit something about uh pleasing the ladies, gentlemen, non-binaries, whichever you, whatever you will.
0: Oh my god, I mean it from the those sex or they weren't even sex, they were just like the trump remember trump was like the deep state is trying to take me down folks like it was just two people who work for the federal government i forget which agency were they fbi agents i don't know just like turn your phone off dude be professional um they were like just really sort of weakly trying to hit on each other in the way that liberals who work for the deep state do i guess and one of them was like yeah and by the way i really don't like this donald trump guy like from from that I from that little window into the sexting inner workings of the deep state, I would say that they have much to learn. So, in other news, I saw that uh, Kanye West is running for president, but has yet to file any paperwork to do so. I think it's more just something he's like manifested into being. Um, is th- what's your take on this, Brandon? Is this a sign that MAGA Kanye is over? that he's going up against his BFF, Donald Trump?
2: I've had Kanye muted for a long time, frankly. <laughs> um, I've had Kanye muted since around 2017 on Twitter because not only is Kanye tedious, but his music is bad now. And like, it was kind of grating on me to hear people pretend like, oh, Kanye West, like this musical genius who's still putting out album after album of bangers just happens to have a few problematic opinions when in reality, mm-hmm. like, Kanye music hasn't been good for like 10 years, maybe since... I would say, my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy. I don't know if that's the actual title of the album. I can't remember the whole thing. (laughs) But, you know, his music hasn't been good since then. Oh, and of course, Watch the Thrones was pretty good. But there is this kind of, I think, when it comes to Kanye, there is this sort of fetishization of, like, well, a problematic artist, like, makes their artwork better. The worse an artist's opinions are, the better their artwork is to some people. Where it's like, oh, like, they just... I think it's just you know it's just more poetic that way right like you know it's so great when like a troubled artist who like is a little bit of a recluse or a little bit of like a problematic figure like but their art is undeniably brilliant we don't have a lot of that actually (laughs) Uh, nowadays we have a lot of people who are like really either mediocre or like are coasting on their art who just now have shitty opinions because they're rich and people just want to but you know that's just the way the story is supposed to unfold for us but Kanye West is probably putting out another garbage album. Uh, you know, I forget what the last one was called. Let's just call it The Life of Pablo 2. Um, <laughs> uh, and, like, this is just a marketing strategy for that. And this, I mean, to be fair, some people said that, like, Trump running for president was a marketing, marketing strategy for a new season of The Apprentice. And now we see where we're at now. Uh, so it's possible that, like, Kanye West could... Pull it out if he's just like he gets swept up in the wave i mean can you imagine Kanye west on up on a debate stage or a debate zoom call with uh trump and biden and doing worse than trump or biden definitely not <laughs> like, i can't imagine <laughs> trump doing i can't imagine like any random on the street doing worse than trump or biden doing so like you know it's that's how jesse ventura won so you, you never know it's, it's 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 been a weird couple of weeks months years who knows
0: yeah i mean Considering the options on the table, like, Kanye would not be the worst thing that could happen to this country, certainly. Um, I liked Yeezus. Did did you not like Yeezus?
2: I did not like Yeezus. I, I mean, people are, people are, I think people are split on Yeezus, but here's what I will say. I think that even the people who are split on Yeezus, like, if you don't like, <laughs> if you don't like, Kanye West the way I don't like Kanye West like you identify Jesus as the precursor to like all the bad things that happened to Kanye West and so it's Jesus is a good point to sort of focus on like oh yeah this is where Kanye started to suck <laughs> and like whether or not Jesus itself is good or bad I think it's debatable but like after Jesus and some components of Jesus you see like worse examples of it later on it's like oh God no like right?
1: I think I think we can actually take a more generalized political point from all of this because I think you're right Brandon that uh when artists get rich invariably their views start to suck a lot more just because rich people tend to you know Uh, wallow in in their riches and just get shittier and more conservative and just fucking insane so I think the solution really is moving towards socialism and communism because if you want to respect your artists and their opinions the only way to do that is to take money, take the value out of the equation and then we can actually respect them for who they are or not as the case may be
0: Yeah, in in my defense of uh, me liking Jesus, I I will only say that I will listen to anything where the production sounds like it was done by Skinny Puppy or Trent Reznor. I'm not like a huge. Uh, I don't really have any uh, knowledge from which to really judge rap music. I just liked, you know, I'm a goth. What are you gonna do?
2: I mean, it's fine. Like there's no accounting for taste. Like I like. I think the the weird thing we've at least especially as people are consuming more media in their free time now, like people just being unable to extricate their enjoyment from something from the politics of that thing and i don't mean in the sort of like you know you can't criticize the politics something that you like or you can't necessarily like or that you shouldn't be interested in the politics of the creators of people you make or support etc etc but just like the necess- but more on the back end the need to justify consuming everything as some sort of political or like some sort of political act and just not being hey, you know what if you like kanye west's album that's fine. It may or may not suck. I don't know. It, I don't like it. It's fine. You know, if you like Hamilton, like, there are problematic aspects of it, but you know what? That, you know, if you can derive pleasure from it, you shouldn't shy away from that because some people find it problematic. Yeah. You should, but, it, you know, you should, but you also shouldn't shy away from the criticisms. You just don't necessarily, it's not that, I don't want to say it's not that deep. It's very deep, actually. It's just not that, like, it doesn't need to assault your ego. It doesn't, it doesn't need to assault everyone's ego, yeah. you know. I didn't, I didn't make that shit. I, like, I didn't make Jesus.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I think one of the things that um, switching to being a political writer and commentator has freed me from is trying to find, like, some kind of political meaning in the culture that I have been consuming. It's just, I don't want to say it doesn't matter at all, but unless the people making this music are, like, literally Nazis, uh, like, it doesn't matter. Problematic faves are fine. Fucking, I stand, I, I. Lana Del Rey is the fucking idiot who says all kinds of dumb shit but I like her last album I thought it was perfect
1: I mean you have a guy I think you liked, should- uh, like Kurt Schlechter I think his name is uh, on Twitter he's like a rabid right wing MAGA conservative and he's really into like Legitimately good music, like The Clash and shit, as you get older, because it seems like, you know, punk rock music or like alternative music, whatever you want, whatever the kids call it these days, it seems like the aesthetic has some sort of like underlying uh, political content to it. But then, of course, as time goes on, you realize that even the worst people with the worst political views can, you know, like the music that you like and wear the aesthetic that you do.
0: Yeah, it just doesn't matter. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, well, I mean,
1: I think it,
2: I was gonna say, well, there, there's two points there. The first is that like, you know, it, you know, you're allowed to experience pleasure for the sake of pleasure. You're allowed to just like watch a TV show and not make it a political project is the more important thing to realize, because that's not a, a leftist thing or a socialist or communist thing to make every part of your life a project. That's a, you know, an, a sort of neurotic upper-middle-class, like, PMC thing, like, that everything has to be productive. Like, everything, everything has to be productive. If I'm watching, if I'm watching, you know, if I'm watching uh, the Great British Bake Off, it should be a productive part of my political project of bettering myself, as opposed to, just, like, I, I just like to turn my brain off and smoke and, like, watch people bake, you know, watch a bunch of British people b- bake things and say incom- incomprehensible bullshit at each other. Um, you know, so, like, I think that's one thing. The other thing is that, you know...
0: Yeah, you hear that, Jacobin? Our,
2: everything is... I'm sorry, what? Oh yeah, I don't know Jack has been
0: doing some culture takes lately That are generally pretty bad Anyway, go on
2: I'm actually illiterate, so, you know, I don't know anything about that. But uh, frankly, and, and also the second part is that, like, anything symbolic, anything open to interpretation is therefore going to be multivalent. People are going to come to it with their own experiences, with their own viewpoints, and they're going to interpret it in a lot – in in different ways, right? And all you can really hope for is not that it not be misunderstood by anybody, but that for the bulk of the people that you're – you know, to the bulk of the people who you want to understand your message, get your message. I know people who – well, college friends of mine who are who were Republicans or were far right – who love Star Trek, and I think that people who are leftists and like Star Trek would find that to be you know particularly hard to swallow. But I think it's you know, it makes sense within their own worldview. So who's to say, right?
1: Jeff Bezos uh, is notoriously the biggest Star Trek fan in the entire world, and he's taken exactly the wrong message from Star Trek, which is that he needs to accumulate all the capital, he needs to monopolize all the distribution of goods, because only a billionaire like him is going to be able to garner the resources and have the gumption in order to get humanity into outer space so we can save ourselves from capitalism's destruction. That all comes from his obsession with Star Trek, which is legitimately like a socialistic well, show
0: as we have well, I don't know in the past
2: I have a different i I tend to disagree that star trek is that socialistic but for and here's the reason why and it goes to jeff bezos string is because i think that we're like the problem with the and obviously star trek is a a very broad series with like many different narrations, but i think with the bare bones of it the issue is that a lot of like a lot of the material concerns of the world have been more or less solved by the technology of the star trek world without any without very much um investigation as to how that is the case like you know you you have matter replicators you have you know teleporters you have endless number of, you have endless amount of um, you know uh, materials to make an endless amount of starfleets because the, the the universe is endless essentially so a lot of the things that we fight over or the things that are you know th- that make up our economy or our political uh, world just don't exist. And even in the history of the Star Trek world, there's kind of this, just this acceptance that once you create, um, faster than light speed travel, at least as the last I remembered, like the canon of Star Trek, they might've switched it switched since the last I watched it. Like once you create like light speed travel, irrespective of any other problems your, your society has, like, you know, basically God in the form of the Vulcans comes down and like fixes everything for you. And like more or less everything just becomes fixed. And like, I think that that Particular lesson about the utility of technology being a sort of salve for all that ails us is something that a lot of tech people have gotten out of Star Trek, and a lot of the world's gotten out of Star Trek. That, yeah, one day we'll just solve, you know, we'll solve all our problems by inventing the right kind of, you know, get a gadget or like doodad or matter transporter or something. And so, I think that that particular part of Star Trek fits more into like a liberal fantasy like yeah all our pro- like all our problems could be solved with just a little you know with just a little bit more technology.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we actually got into that quite a bit with Peter Fraze on our Four Futures episode. Um and there's so much more to talk about related to Star Trek. Um we could do many more episodes on it, but um just to put a button on the Kanye thing, Um, It has already given us some really choice tweets from uh, resistance libs like this one. Um, And I quote, Kanye West announces he's running for president. So potentially Kim Kardashian could be the second first lady to have done porn. Be best, y'all. American flag emoji. This is someone who literally has hashtag resistance in their their Twitter bio.
2: Yeah, no. I mean, say what you want about Kim Kardashian and all of her, uh, you know, What I whatever you think about her, she got that political prisoner freed. Like she campaigned directly and got that and got Trump to free that that unjustly imprisoned person. That's more than I can say for a lot of the resistance libs who can who complain about her. It's just like yeah, like you know she had like whatever you. I don't know much about Kim Kardashian's life or I don't watch the show, but like you can't deny that she. Has used her power in the past to do like direct action and make be- the world a better place. But you know, again, this comes down to more or less not necessarily a class issue because obviously Kim Kardashian West is so much more vastly more wealthy than most of the people criticizing her, but just like a way in which that liberals are capable of manufacturing like themselves as the intellectual moral superior of like basically everyone who's not them, right? It's like what makes you know what makes uh any random liberal better than Kim Kardashian? Like she seems to care about the world. World in a way that is much more direct than a lot of them. Like I don't b- believe anyone should be that wealthy, but you know, for all of their fave, their problematic faves who do such good work, you know, Kim Kardashian isn't on the Epstein like a fucking list. <laughs> like she, uh, you know, she uh, hasn't supported of a, a fucking illegal war. It's like she's just rich and maybe vapid. I guess I've never really heard her speak, so. You know, like this is just like liberals being libs. Like they're 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 smug and morally superior to everyone, and every time they sort of adopt that position, they reveal themselves as not even being good at the one thing they think they're good at, which is just like saying the right things mm-hmm. <laughs> or like supporting the marginalized.
0: That is true. Well, speaking of the libs, um I saw you had some tweets about Hamilton. So before we get into The more serious part of our discussion, perhaps we should talk about that.
1: We have to talk about it because I have to feel as though that three hours of my life was worth something.
0: Oh God, it's three hours? And like two. two oh,
1: so two you, you watched
0: it? <laughs>
1: I, fucking, I fucking watched it. Jamie, we were talking earlier and she's like, oh, he's got some takes about Hamilton and I'd been putting it off for a while. Not even putting it off, but I, I was like, I now have a reason to do it. You know, it's back in the news. People are talking about it again because it's on uh, streaming TV now. So I just fucking went for it. It was like, you know, gawk and rubbernecking at a car crash once i started it i just had i had to go and and watch it in all its monstrosity
2: i have not watched it uh and i know people are going to say that makes my opinions on it to be mostly vapid although my opinions have been largely quarantined to the music sucks and i've listened to the music (laughs) like the music is bad and for what i understand to be true about the story it's like a historical like nonsense meant to flatter liberals but that's what all our media really basically is so like I mean I would not watch it. I listened to one of those songs, um, "Who Shot You," <laughs> and it was I just started laughing like halfway through it. Oh my god! There's like 20 songs on that 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 album for Hamilton is like 80,000 songs long, and like half of them are about dueling.
0: Yes. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, oh, geez, I did not make it very far into Hamilton. I must admit, I tried it earlier today. I was like, nope, 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 nope. But I saw that you said that you liked the music from Cats um and this music is just garbage compared to that which i find to be like Actually, some of the songs from Cats are kind of catchy. Um, And I did watch Cats on Shrooms, and it was horrible. But um, Hamilton, I don't think I could even handle it on Shrooms, quite frankly, because I think just the badness of at least Cats had some like kitschy value. You know, there's like people, but they look like cats. It's kind of creepy and weird. And that's funny to me on Shrooms. But like, I do not think I could have handled this on Shrooms. Uh, But also like one life hack that I did was whenever they were talking about uh, the Revolution. I just pretended they were talking about uh, global communist revolution and it made it better.
2: Well, I mean, frankly. I have seen Cats, the you know the. I've watched the Broadway play on like a, a recording of it, and I've also seen the movie several times because I'm a cat fanatic. And you know, frankly, I'm sorry uh, uh, for cat fanatic. I couldn't make that pun work. Sorry. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but um, to- the, <laughs> the thing about it is like people don't like to catch the movie because it's you know frightening and. Incredibly delirious, <laughs> delirious and horny, but the songs are fine for the most part. Like, and the the movie sucks because of the, like well because of a lot of CGI elements and a lot of like story. But like a lot of what makes the movie of Cats not work is that Cats doesn't have a story. The like, Cats is just gibberish. It's just a bunch of like thinly thinly linked together like songs about like cats doing like cat shit. But like also you know like I don't know like it's just let's do what it is. Like it's just like it's there's no story to Cats. You know so it it lacks the ability to be as bad ask Hamilton is because you can't because you can't really like ha- you can't critique cats so for but for so much. Hamilton has like a story and it's trying to teach you something, but that's but it but it sucks. You know, it's like if Schoolhouse Rock sucked, or like if you know <laughs> Epic Rap Battles of History was two and a half hours long, and you'd be like, oh no, this is, <laughs> this, is uh, this is not what I wanted.
1: I, I don't feel super qualified to uh, to weigh in on the music, although I did find it like too clever by half theater nerd horseshit, shit. Um, and I know why they did it, right? The, I realized early into the uh, play, into the musical, that – the young and scrappy and hungry american revolutionaries are counterposed to the musty fusty british you know especially uh you know king george who's shown as like a complete fop uh in the in the um, musical and i think it's supposed to show like that that uh you know the American revolutionaries had pluck and vigor, similar to, I guess, rapping kids in the street, spitting bars at each other. It was an attempt to try to make this very, I guess, attractive to a new audience. This this American Revolution story.
0: Yeah, America, but make it cool.
1: I mean, it was less
2: historically accurate than an episode of like Animaniacs detailing what happened in American <laughs> history. But like for me, so. The music for me sucked. And I love musicals. I love both musicals and I love rap. So, like, I'm at the unique intersection of, I, I even saw, like, the John Leguizamo produced off-Broadway version of Othello that was a hip-hop rap. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know I love musicals. The problem, I mean, the music in, Ham, in Hamilton is bad, right? It's just not very good. But I can see who it appeals to. It appeals to, like, the acapella rap song group at your college. Right. Yes. People, the, the people who like, you know, at the Spirit Fair would come on stage and do like an acapella version of the whisper song by the Yin Yang twins and Bubba Sparks or whatever and like everyone in the cloud the crowd would go, Oh, that was all right back in two thousand like ten <laughs> or two thousand and nine. It's just like like you know, the Carmen people, right? So like I so when you mix that, you know, that particular like musical, uh I don't wanna know what the right word for it is, um, malady with like just a bush era nostalgia for like the presidential that is what you know again obama rode in on and what a lot of people look fondly back on obama for like you get you know the success of hamilton and obviously what's weird about hamilton is that i think you know again i'm not the hamilton expert here like sean you know who has watched the movie yeah Yeah. at least once
1: at least once i might watch it again when i go home
2: Oh my God! Really? You're you're, you're addicted to Hamilton. <laughs> you're a, you're an I'm addict. I'm a Hamiltonian. Uh, <laughs> Hamiltonian. You're a, you're a, exactly. There it is. Hamilton. God damn it! <laughs> 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 Fucked it up again. No, um, but yeah. So like. It, it it strikes people talk about it being an Obama era phenomenon like i don't know i think it i think it's more of a bush era phenomenon that is attractive for the same reason Obama is what makes it weird is that like or rather what makes it odder is that like bush has been rehabilitated so you would expect a lot of like the like the anti-bush kind of media pieces even if they aren't explicitly anti-bush to be less popular now but i think hamilton has been able to because by nature of being so like uh, nostalgic for the presidential, it just became a Trump thing. <laughs> it was just that It's just about Trump. You know, it's just about like oh, you know, uh, endless nostalgia for like that occurs under Republicans for like the presidential rule of the person who came before them. You know, like regardless of whether they're slave masters, regardless of whether they start illegal wars, regardless of whether or not you know, like they're rapists. It's just like it's a never-ending cycle. It's, it's all lesser of evils can deliver people if they're not paying attention.
1: There, there so there's the actual audience. That ended up spending one, two, three thousand dollars in order to get a ticket to go see this on Broadway back in the day. The actual demographic for Hamilton is upper middle class libs who love the diversity aspect of it, who love to feel like they're cultured because they're listening to the rap music, right? And have the money in order to take this in and appreciate the whole thing. I think that there's also, of course, the maybe a intended audience or at least an important intended audience, which is, I guess, cause it's a, it's a historical reenactment. It's supposed to be making people proud of their history and teaching them something about Alexander Hamilton and the founding fathers is, is young people. Right. So I could, I could imagine, you know, a history teacher bringing this Hamilton uh, film of the musical into the classroom and being like, this is going to teach kids about, you know, what happened in 1776 and after, but the, the 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 American Revolution, especially now after Trump, it well, it already was in Obama, but especially now, is such a backwards looking political vision like the vision on order in this film is not one that I think is very compelling for young people these days because it's a you know this plucky young guy who makes his way up from being an orphan and a bastard you know into like this great figure by by grinding you know and and standing for finance and capital and all that shit like the bourgeois revolution wasn't even completed (laughs) in the American revolution they still had slaveries and the only people who look back fondly on the kind of national unity that that revolution you know gave to us are either maga chuds who can't watch this because they're racist and hate rap music or libs who already buy into the false unity of this project to begin with well i mean frankly i'm not i
2: don't know if jamie wants to go but so i'll I'll go on go first No, I was going to say, again, I I can't comment as much on Hamilton as uh, Sean can, because Sean, you know, is his favorite musical, obviously. Um, But for, you know, despite it's, you know, him finding it problematic. Right. Uh, But yeah, you're right. I mean, like what I think Hamilton is a good cipher for a good analogy for a good example of rather whatever, you, you know, is that like it's more or less just like liberal propaganda. Hamilton is no different. As like a piece of media, then the New York Times op-ed section, as the Washington Post, as, you know any number of like you know The Office or Same The West vibe. Wing or what say so it's and it all it does exists to coddle the egos of liberals It exists to coddle the egos like, you know some of our media exists to coddle the egos of central centrist general but when people mean like the liberal quote unquote media there is a level of like accuracy to that in so far as it's meant to like coddle the comfort and the menta- the sentimentalities and the uh, sort of the moral code of like just you know your centrist upper middle class um sort of, like, liberal elite, and I think what Hamilton shows you, because, I mean, I I know people who like Hamilton, I don't, all my friends think it's, like, you know, garbage and shit, and, then you know, I think you're right, where there's a lot of people who, if you were to show them this, they'd go, like, are you serious? The, the music is bad, and I'm pretty sure, like, Alexander Hamilton owned slaves what are you talking about, but, again, it's possible to have, you know, quote-unquote, a worldwide, nationwide, et cetera-wide, you know, global, or rather, have something be portrayed as, like, a nationwide phenomenon, just because it appeals to, like, this incredibly narrow of of heavily valued americans and then and everyone else is just like propagandized that this is the best this is the best fucking musical ever the best rap music the best whatever because and like they're like oh i guess i believe that but really it's just like it appeals to like maybe eight million people in america who all just have three thousand dollars disposable income can, and can afford to go see hamilton and we're all, and everyone else is just subjected to like the moral and aesthetics of that and forced to you know and forced to believe it
0: oh well don't forget all of the uh Groups of underprivileged youth that were given like Hamilton scholarships oh, right. and brought to see it, right? Because this was supposed to be teaching them about American history in a <laughs> cool hip vernacular that they can understand.
2: Couldn't they have bought you the money to buy them fucking books? <laughs> like, <some> textbooks? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> can you imagine no money for being. That. I couldn't imagine fucking being like a like a sophomore in a under- like a underserved high school and find out they spent like $3,000 or like they had the equivalent of $3,000 in their hand which could have bought like a whole fucking like computer for each kid and some textbooks and some and maybe some instruments for like the fucking music program but instead we went to go see this bullshit rap which I like half paid attention to anyway.
1: What one one could argue and I think persuasively that you know, the Civil War is the is the finalization, the culmination of the sort of abstract bourgeois ideas of liberty, you know, contained in 1776. Uh, they were made real, of course, by abolishing slavery in the, after the Civil War. One could argue even that these same sort of enlightenment principles going into the late 19th and early 20th century were still progressive for that era. You know, not for nothing did the CPUSA, uh, you know, feel comfortable saying that communism is Americanism, right? There's a way to kind of tie those, those things together, even through the new deal era, you know, with the sort of patriotic industrial democracy that FDR and the Democrats had to offer. And even of course, up through the civil rights movement, which was really uh, the supposedly the final fulfillment of these formal liberal freedoms, you know, to live in a democracy and have equal rights. But in the era After Obama, who tries to do this, like, flag-waving, high-minded, professorial, liberal unity thing, falls flat on his face and then gives us fucking Trump, who just abolishes, just throws away all these norms – any sense that Americans can work together? Any sense that there's a common project or that we're trying to fulfill any ideals? Only looking back at the American Revolution as a MAGA thing, as like this backwards-looking reactionary thing. You know, like I, the, the American Revolution doesn't have anything for us anymore. I'm sorry. You can want it to. You can sit there in your fancy home in Westchester and or or uh, Marin County and say how nice and sweet it is that we have this multicultural representation about what it means to be American and, and live in a, a, the American Republic where freedom and liberty reigns, but nobody believes it anymore because it's fucking horseshit. Formal liberty is not going to get us anywhere. What, the, what has come out of that over the last 250 years has to be overcome. It has to be overcome so that bourgeois revolution just doesn't have anything for us anymore. Sorry, so from just my perspective. There. Oh no, I, I appreciate it. I like when, I like when people
2: yell. It makes me feel like all oh, excited. Like when you're in a classroom, and your teacher seems passionate. Like you you kept you kept it reined in. I hate when my teachers were too passionate because then I feel like I don't want you to be wanting to be here more than I do. That's just like not cool. <laughs> but uh, it was. But I agree with you. But I here's here's what I will say. I, I don't know what liberty means to everybody. Like just like generally like the sort of component pieces of it. Like oh like I'm you know uh, I'm free to do X. I'm free to do Y. Like you know what people think of when they think of like liberty. Specifically, you know, here's what I, but more than that, I think what we're seeing now, especially in the the wake of COVID, especially in the wake of, you know, like our public health crises and all other shit, is that like, however you want to define liberty, right? In America, liberty takes a very specific manifestation as like the of as my individual right to do blank, competing with someone else's individual right to do blank, other thing that is contradicting or maybe contradicting, and that's where we're butting heads when it comes to a lot of stuff. I, I mean, you know, at least when it comes to COVID nineteen, so much of this is just like, does my individual liberty to not wear a mask, to not be inconvenienced, to not to you know my individual liberty to get my hair done, to do whatever, because right. uh, you know Americans don't know what liberty means. Is that does that supersede your liberty to not potentially get sick? You know, and how many points removed is that if I might direct if I can't be considered directly responsible for this because it's a virus and you know who knows? Like it, it, it's that mentality more so than any particular component that we've been sold that hey you know what and we have no personal relationship. Uh, or rather, our relation to our relation, our self in relation to the community is one of competition with other nice. people for resources. You know, and, and liberty is one of those resources. It's been commodified. It's like, obviously, if liberty in our, you know, under our particular framework is, is, uh, is a finite resource. I can't be free to, you know, get my hair done or go to the gym if you want to be free to not die of COVID-19 or, you know, if, or et cetera, et cetera. But like, that's just a fundamental flaw in the way we think about our society we don't think of ourselves as we don't think of liberty as something that's dynamic and growing as our society and our responsibilities to each other by necessity are like are required to grow we think of it as a static thing that was written down on paper one time ago and I'm going to something to draw on if I get into a conflict with somebody else of equal or lesser power to me to justify why I should have my way when it's like you know. It's it's silly. We're all we should all be able to act in some sense like of like adults. But instead, we have people, you know, saying that their right to get a sandwich or own a bazooka supersedes someone's right to not get blown up by a bazooka. And it, it's just it's
1: ridiculous. Well, because because what we need right now and what there was just a big losing political battle about in this country was not individual rights. It wasn't about liberty and freedom. It was about social rights. The right to say have a guaranteed universal health care system that worked for everybody. We saw that the american revolution such as it is or such as it has been passed down to us does not ha- does not include the right to not go bankrupt and or die because you don't have health insurance so the only thing that would be progressive would have we'd have a more social conception of liberty maybe a socialist type revolution that could go past what was given to us 250 years ago but liberals and the makers of hamilton they're not ready for that conversation and i don't i'm not sure this country ever will be
2: I was going to say, coincidentally, like, liberty and the different, like, competing definitions of liberty is what my dissertation was on at one point in time, or at least it touched on at one point in time. And, you know, for me, liberty, you know, distinct from what I was talking about earlier, which was more collectivism and how we, you know, you know, as opposed to, like, what liberty actually is, but collectively how we, you know, perform liberty or being free, whatever, uh, however you want to say it. Uh, Like, for me, liberty, like, is deeply entrenched in, like, what makes the government you know, valuable. It makes society itself, you know, valuable. Like, liberty is, you know... As a practical thing for me, like what does the government do that you we could not do without the government? What does the government What is the government capable of providing for us? What is society capable of providing for us that we would not necessarily have without society? Right? You know, would we not have without freedom? And this is this is beyond sort of like early conceptions of the state of nature and the you know and like we and everyone being man versus man. You know, and like the sort of state of constant conflict. This is more like the government. You know, what the government does just by nature of being one large infrastructural project is provide guaranteed outcomes for futures you know for people's future that's what it should be doing right it should be saying hey you know what like I can guarantee you that once you turn the age of 65, the government's going to take care of a blank amount of your uh, income. So you can plan your future around that. Because you, for if there's one thing that you know that would not be true in a state of nature is that the, we'll be here tomorrow. <laughs> you know, the road will be here tomorrow, and that you can't say the same thing in you know a libertarian state or something like that. And so when it comes like, and that for me that is why like America is, like the least <laughs> the least free country in the developed world because Americans don't get don't get shit for their taxes. You know, Americans don't get anything. Look at we look at where we are compared to the rest of the developed world in our COVID response and how every other developed country was doing rent, you know, rent control or sorry, rent uh rent cancellation and you know uh like taking care of workers wages for le- a certain level of of months to keep you know to make it so there was not a material demand from to go out. And like America couldn't even do that. America gave everyone twelve hundred dollars. Spent the rest of the money giving like uh, people's friends, te- you know, billionaires and politicians' friends tax breaks. And now they're like, okay, well, you know what? We're done with this. So, like, America is like, you know, just by nature of what America provides its citizenry, probably one of the least free countries in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, sort of uh, on like a uh, investment to return level.
0: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, speaking of the continuing. Uh, evolution of liberty and concepts of liberty um let's talk about these uh protests for a minute um they're still happening i i think we've begun referring to it as the rebellion for black lives um at least uh, that's how i'm thinking about it although it certainly is uh expanding to be about more than that as well um so like do you think that these protests are radicalizing the liberals in any way um or like changing the way that the mass the the masses i hate to use that word it sounds condescending but you know changing the way the majority of the people in this country who uh, at least the the non-chud majority think about america and what actually needs to happen in order to make it a free society
2: I mean, nowhere, you, you can condescend to them. What are they going to do? Tell you to vote? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like, if there's one language liberals understand, it's smug-ass condescension. Uh, so, you know, you can get it. They'll, they'll understand. They'll understand you. I don't know. A radicalized is such a a real a weird word. I mean, I, I find hopefulness in that it, it what it shows me is that, like, Every well, not everybody, but there is um there is a portion of this population. People talk about the silent major- majority all the time, which I think is just like you know again horseshit. But uh, people, talk, but like there is a portion of like the Democratic Party, the non-political, you know, sort of non-political population, you know, that is that actually does. Believe that like Black Lives Matter, that racism is bad, that sexism is bad, you know, like like you know that homophobia is bad, that transphobia is bad, and they might be confused in certain elements of it. They might not understand like what that fully entails. They might not understand the like, intersections with other stuff. They might not understand that it's a global project, but like insofar that there is a, you know, again, sort of the conservatives complain about a liberal hegemony, it's basically yeah, like, you know, the liberals in some ways, they did win the culture war. You can't say the N-word on television. You know, like, you you can't just straight up do, like, the more overt forms of racism. And of course, when we're on the left, we can identify that liberals are, like, hypocrites. They don't necessarily understand, like, the full breadth of why their politics are a problem. They're prone to being fickle. You know, they're a little bit solipsistic. All those things. But like, once they recognize something as being discordant with their political views, they don't necessarily take it well, right, because we know one other thing about true about liberals—they're they're very self—they're very self-involved. You know, the act of seeing black people shot on the streets upsets a lot of the PMC class. It does. You know, it upsets them. It upsets a lot of people who think that the Democratic Party is doing their best to fight these problems. It upsets them because they wonder what's happening. You know, and of course they might not understand again the full breadth of the problem. But like, there is an instinctual reaction that this is not okay. And so, really, it's incumbent upon us, I think, or insofar there is like or organized left to take advantage of this lack of or not take advantage of but but go in there and fill in the blanks. It's like you know at a certain point we have to acknowledge that the mainstream media is basically propaganda. Our education system has stripped out most of the language of not only class and capitalism and uh labor but also just like it it teaches a bastardized version of of systemic oppression like people don't understand how racism really functions or how sexism really manifests or any of those things they have a very very you know convenient narrative about it that, that just that leaves all the powerful players untouched and so all we can really hope to do is correct those imbalances and, and get more and more people you know carve off more and more of these liberals so i mean i'm hopeful about it but you know i hate to say it not a lot of time you know we're in the midst of a global of a nationwide pandemic
1: yeah yeah and also climate change is breathing right down our necks but um one thing that i noticed right from the get right uh when the cops murdered george floyd were efforts by the media by politicians by community leaders to uh erase the long uh, radical black tradition in this country and make it seem as though you know, the black people on the streets or the you know, black people who are marching or whatever um, were being led astray by the white anarchists or, or the communists who are coming from the outside who didn't really understand the, the, the plight of the, of the common person. I wanted to get your take on that. What do you think about this erasure of the black radical tradition, whether anarchist or communist in the United States?
2: I mean, that's a tale of old as time, right? And it's not even just an erasure of the black radical tradition. It's the erasure of people having a justified reaction to, or the erasure and delegitimization of people having a justified reaction to being murdered in the streets. It's like, you know, the tale of communists and Russians and, you know, you know let's be, quote, you know, and other, un, quote unquote, deviant, unsavory elements, you know, stirring trouble within the naturally domestic black or brown populations is the tale oldest colonialism is as, old, as old as the you know the, the history of imperialism right because like the the ideal you know the ideal subject is the docile subject and part of and you know that's been naturalized it's been made part of you know quote-unquote uh, black people's essential quality and that you know and as far as we get away from you know thinking about the world that way, there are still these little remnants of that in people. So it's very easy to believe that, yeah, uh, the only people who who would be mad enough to riot about, like, uh, cops systematically killing and preying on black communities monetarily, uh, you know, sexually assaulting people, um, just basically being menaces, uh, would be, like, the white anarchists trying to start trouble. And frankly— it's, you know, even if that's true in certain and, you, know, you know, certain small elements, I suppose, you know, that that's not the bre- that's not the the typical uh, protester. It's not the typical person who's out there in the streets. It's not that, you know, and it really is just like a narrative that we've been see- that we've been seeing for us, you know, as long as there have been black people oppressed in America. It's just it's just the modern drapedomania, right? It's like, you know, black people are OK with being fucked up by the cops. It's, you know, they like that shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think we've seen a real split as well between some of the young activists who are out there on the streets fucking shit up and what Cornell West would call the black leadership class, you know, the, the folks who are cozy with the Democratic establishment. And they're like, no, 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 we want reforms. We don't want abolition. That stuff is crazy. Um, and I think we're seeing a real split and a real change in how, a lot of people are thinking about these issues because like, even if, like I was talking about this before with some people, even if, you know, maybe the majority of the people out on the streets are not, uh, anarchists or communists or socialists, at least, um, not, not yet, but, um, It points in some very radical directions when people start talking about defunding the police, when they start talking about, you know, the connections between uh, the police state and capitalism and how it it was founded to protect capital. And obviously, that's also a very racialized dynamic here in the U.S. Um, I want to read a quote from Ruth Wilson Gilmore that I think gets at some of this stuff where she said, um abolition requires that we change one thing which is everything abolition is not absence it is presence what the world will become already exists in fragments and pieces experiments and possibilities so those who feel in their gut deep anxiety that abolition means knock it all down scorch the earth and start something new let that go abolition is building the future from the present in all of the ways that we can
2: I, I mean, I agree with the quote. And I mean, I just to touch on the point she made first. Yeah, I mean, when you have to wait, what you have to understand about like the black liberal media class, for lack of a better term, like the black, uh, you know, like your, gonna, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bakari sellers. Like your Bakari sellers out there, you know, your Joanne Reed's, you know, like part of their appeal, part of what makes them, you know, valuable in these mostly white spaces is their ability to at least you know implicitly argue that they have some sort of unique black viewpoint on you know these issues like and and a viewpoint that is enough to relate to the totality of black people not just like the black upper middle class you know there's a small segment of black people who are upper middle class or higher right so part of that you know, project requires having total dominance over blackness, you know, in the media, blackness narrative, you know, black, the political blackness, the Democratic Party wants that for themselves. And they're more happy to like sort of cultivate, uh, you know, uh, a few like black leaders in media and in political positions that can help them entrench that narrative. But I would, you know, it's easy to look at, I think, Joe Biden's, "Quote unquote success with the with a segment of the black population as some sort of black fondness for the Democratic Party or a black fondness for black leadership or whatever. At least the black leadership that the, the, the media refers to, like your um, oh my gosh, your John Lewis's and your uh, Derays and your Sean Kings. But if you're if you want to really look at the sort of the actual impact on the black vote of that leadership class, you should look to your like Elizabeth Warrens." It's like, no, like the black leadership class lined up behind your Elizabeth Warren's and, you know, Kamala Harris's and all these, you know, Democratic frontrunners meant nothing, meant dick to the black vote because these people aren't for, you know, the black liberal class is not for black people, you know, at least not all black people or the majority of black people who are left materially deprived despite their, you know, their individual success within like liberal media spaces. The black leadership class is for white people. You know the white, the black leadership class, and the, it's for like white people to feel good about you know their diversity in Democratic Party or Republican Party too. It's like that's why they complained about Kamala Harris being dropped out the spot despite a her not having any unique positions and b no one voting for her because yeah then like their then their uh, primaries less diverse. Like, you know, that, that's it. You know, it really is blackness, you know, for them or like the ability to index blackness is valuable because it allows the white people who to index a level of moral and intellectual superiority over like a, you know, a racist foreign Republican Party. But, eh, you
1: know. So you um, we've started to see some a lot of reactions, but in Minneapolis, uh, we've seen that the mayor has announced and the city council has announced that the Minneapolis Police Department is disbanding. I'm not sure about how much you know about what's happening on the ground, but do you think that this will do anything? Do you think we're at the point where any sort of meaningful reforms are on the table? Well, I think we're at the. I think we are at a point where we didn't think we would be three weeks ago,
2: or four weeks ago, much you know, much less six months ago. So when it comes to meaningful forms, I think we should take every opportunity necessary, every every opportunity presented to us as leftists to weaken the power of the police state. You know, obviously, when it talks about disbanding the police force or like, you know, defunding, we have to be incredibly vigilant because sometimes that's just moving money around. As we saw in New York City where they sort of, you know, they just shifted the police uh, in school budget from the police department to the, the education department. We'd be careful about those things. But I am, you know, optimistic about the potentiality for change and where I think maybe I have a different opinion from, the majority of people on the left is that I look at the people in the streets. I see hundreds of thousands of people I don't need them all to understand communism I don't need them all to understand anarchism. I don't need them, I don't need them to ever understand that, to be honest. I just need them to continue to like look towards I just would I just need them to continue to be in the streets and to continue to like want to be part of these kinds of actions to make the world a better place, whether or not they understand what they are or not, and to continue to be organized by the people who are currently trying to like organize them towards these goals. Like I think it's a fallacy that, that think that everyone, you know, engaged or everyone the left reaches out to or who supports the left or who belongs to leftist spaces has to be there first and foremost through some intellectual engagement with theory or, you know, identification and a very sort of deep engagement. I think it's okay to have people there who just want to, you know, who just want to make friends. You know, we think we live in a world where people are deeply alienated. They don't have any sort of language to put that alienation in. They see things on TV, like the police pushing and almost damn near killing an octogenarian uh, for having the audacity to stand in their way. And liberals, they, you know, they have no place to put that. They don't know where that goes. You know, the police, like the police are who they call when they, you know, when a cat's in a tree or some dumb shit Like, so for me, I think we have to become more comfortable with just like the leftist being a social project too. Like there being a radical nature to the left to leftism, to leftist groups being like a place where people in a world full of material and social alienation can come to find camaraderie along with solidarity, if that makes any sense, because that's how you hook people. And then, you know, I don't like I don't care if everyone I don't care if everyone at the protest knows what anarchy is. I don't care if they all read, you know, uh uh, Trevor Noah biographies as their their primary political education. As long as they keep they keep coming out to the streets, they sign those petitions, they vote for people who we <laughs> vote for. They can do whatever they want. It's just like I think that we, it, it, other political. Other political parts, other parts of the political spectrum, the far right, the center understand this, that like, it's not about getting everyone to become like the most familiar scholars of your ideology. It's sometimes just about getting people to like repeat everything that you say into like and launder into mainstream circles in a way that is, you know, not necessarily immune to being uh, co-opted, but you know, the the only way to make it immune to being co-opted is to make sure you are completely upfront about your demands right like you know you can't be you can't be too cute with it i don't think it needs to be mired in theory but like you know defund the police means defund the police you know abolish prisons mean ab- means abolish prisons there are aspects of that we can get into the minutia of it but it's not it's, it shouldn't be so it, it doesn't need to be like an entire like uh sociology 210 course is what i mean it's just it's, it's fine for people to just be want friends and like as long as they do the right things as, as they follow the general norms of leftism shit i don't care
0: Mm-hmm. i mean i agree Nothing
2: radicalizes you faster than getting your fucking than getting tear gassed by uh some pig i'll tell you that that'll radicalize you way faster than fucking than fucking reading marks just having some like red-faced some red-faced nypd officer crack your skull
0: yeah like oh but i'm a peaceful protester they don't do that to peaceful protesters just uh-huh. kidding yes they do darn, i mean darn
2: I, 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 he's listening at the peaceful protest yeah, they're not thinking it's a peaceful protest. There, there are there are protests and then there are parades. You guys, they're not thinking a peaceful protest.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I I agree with most of what you just said. Um, at the same time. I think it's a good goal to build, like, a really politically activated cadre and a real base of people who uh, understand these things on a deep level. Like, we were talking with um, Mike Davis, the great Marxist historian, the other night in an event that my DSA caucus, submerged put on. And he talked about, you know, how the Communist Party, CPUSA, which he was once a part of, um, their efforts to turn intellectuals into workers and to turn workers into intellectuals like taking care of every aspect of a member of the party's life um not just including the material right and we saw the black panthers took this up with their um lunch programs and community programs to help people basically survive because if you can't survive you can't fight right um and and taking care of their intellectual development as well not in like a per paternalistic way but like i keep going back to like the leninist conception of the party and i think it makes a whole lot of sense like we need some kind of a mass organization if we're going to keep this energy going and it's not just going to peter out until the next time something fucked up happens that is organizing that is joining together with the movements in the streets um and really taking care of people's uh, social needs, intellectual needs, and, and, like, there's, like, a give and take as well between, like, the people nope. who are already in the party and the people who aren't in the party yet, because if it's just, like, some uh, Marxist professors, like, dictating theory from on high, that's not going to work, right? It's incredibly paternalistic.
2: So, so here's where I agree. I definitely agree with everything you're saying, and I, to be more cl- for me the first step to all of that and i think this is where our ideas are definitely overlapping is that the flaw in my perception the thing that i forgot to mention is that the, the key the key to all the step is this is to sort of extricate people from that you know Propaganda paradigm where they get most of their information from, you know How deep they want to go down the rabbit hole of communism or anarchism or socialism or whatever, you know Whatever left ideology suits their fancy. Not really my uh, my of you know, not really my forte is fine But for me the most important thing is communicating to people that they cannot be getting their news or information about the world At least certain aspects of it from certain sources and that's just like that's just a mandatory for me uh aspect of educating people about like the world where it's like I can't have people who I'm trying to teach about like politics or whatever going to and this again this sounds like a propaganda but it, I mean you have to fight propaganda more than for propaganda in, in my opinion where it's like I can't have people I can't have people thinking it's you know people I talk to at the gym or you know at work you know c- talking to me about something then immediately going towards like the New York Times or some other outlet to just re-propagandize themselves with some nonsense i you know the first i think element of educating you know liberals of educating the population is to is the really hammer home just how unreliable American media actually is and how it's not a legitimate source of educating yourself for of about certain topics obviously stuff like climate change or medication like you know just big bulk standard news we can go you know back and forth of but when it comes to like social issues or global, geopolitics people have to start understanding that like we can't be on and off with the propaganda the, you know like the now, the corporate media establishment as a real vector for change in my opinion I think that People talk about language of the movement being co-opted. There are, going to, there are people who are going to co-opt it. So part of you know stopping leftist ideas from being co-opted, it being co-opted, is being quite upfront with people. Like, hey, you know what? I consider the Atlantic that's propaganda. You know, for the most part, that's propaganda. New York Times propaganda. You know, that's state, deep state propaganda. I mean, it is what it is. I, I, I say it jokingly because like it helps get, but like I'm serious about the fact that like you can't necessarily. Teach people that you know communism is good, socialism is good, anarchism is good, but also be like linking them to New York Times articles because that's just you know that's one step forward, two steps back for like forever. So I think part of the project I like to hammer home like hey, you know what? You have to get people used to alternative sources of media, alternative sources of educating themselves, and not just like you no, know, not just re-propagandizing because most people they just don't know how to learn. They don't know how to learn about this stuff.
1: A lot of um, the last five years has been a process of people being radicalized uh, coming out of the, the two Bernie Sanders campaigns through that entire five years. You know, if you were serious about that project or if you were ambivalent but supportive of it, you had to necessarily give a fuck. What liberals thought <laughs> Whether you liked them or not right, You wanted them to vote for Bernie Sanders You wanted to pull them At least in the electoral sphere Over to the side of democratic socialism Guess what folks The libs just, just buried that dream In the fucking ground So you don't have to give a shit anymore Call a spade a spade Call the propaganda propaganda And start work, working with the people around you Start creating solidarities Because like the, those people If they're so blinkered uh, in, this, in this moment of crisis where just the material conditions are screaming out at everybody that something has to change, something has to give. If they're so blinkered and blind to that, they're probably not going to be reachable anyways. So we really need to focus on the people who are. And yeah, they're not all going to uh, have an advanced degree in anthropology or sociology. They're not all going to vote either. Right, right. They, um,
0: especially, especially now when what's happening in the electoral sphere is so many layers removed from most people most working-class people's realities sorry continue no no i mean
1: that's pretty much it i was just gonna say like um you know we don't have to give a fuck about the bourgeois media and what they say about our movement except to the extent that you know those libs in the mass media we have to recognize that they're enemies and we need to counter their propaganda And like brandon said break people away from that for that framing
2: I listen to a lot of flat earth propaganda um not because it's not cuz I like not because I believe the earth is flat but because like they're propagandists and they're unapologetic propagandists and they have a lot of insights and they recognize that like modern media is propaganda just not for the same reasons that like we do right but they have you know but like that's part of what you know they are skilled that getting people to believe the earth is flat and i feel like if they can get people to believe the earth is flat then their skills can help me get people to believe in communism that they don't <laughs> deserve to like die in the streets and like you know but that what that is one thing that they highlight it's like you know you really can't have when you're trying to and it's something that the far right does as well. Like when you're trying to get people to adopt a new mode of thinking, it's not helpful for you to lead them to places that are just going to reaffirm their old way of thinking. And liberal media only really exists to coddle liberal egos. It, it 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 exists to strengthen those defenses to alternative narratives. It's like to the point where they all appear to be you know conspiracy theories or impossible or you know outside the realm of American uh, possibilities. And so it's it's just not helpful to think of that relationship as anything other than adversarial. You can like work within them if you continue, if you always consider to be adversarial, but you have to, you know, you have to realize that they are not there to help you. And I think that's, I think that's something that we kind of on the left forget. We try to have it both ways. We have, we try to have it as this sort of like, well, we can't use abolish the the prisons because it'll be co-opted, you know, the co-opted by who, who's going to co-opt it. You mean the New York Times and like people like in Crooked Media and people like the Washington Post and people? Like, yeah, definitely will be co-opted. Oh, or do you also want to write for those places? OK, but then that's like then that's the problem like, it, Then, yeah, it can't work both ways. Right. Unless you are like really skilled at sneaking propaganda into there. But then that's that's a different kind of mindset. That's a different kind of mindset than than, than just educating people. With what well, I mean,
1: and, and for all the ways that uh, Noam Chomsky and his legacy have been used and abused over the last few months, with like asking that poor old man a question by email about electoral politics, and just like liberals gloating over the fact that he thinks it's like better to vote for the lesser of two evils. Noam Chomsky did provide many decades ago, and very effectively. Manufacturing consent, the political economy of the mass media. And if you've made it to the point where you're high up in MSNBC or high up in the New York Times, Washington Post, Fox News, or whatever, you've already been weeded out of any possibility of breaking from that line to begin with. So if you're going to go into that world, recognize that there's no choice but to toe that line because it's built into the political economy of that system.
2: Eh, I mean, like, no, they, like, I don't have much time for, the like, the bullshit, you know, the quote, you know, uh, my ex-grandfather, Bernie Sanders, you know, I, I don't have a lot of tolerance for bullshit. So when people pull up, like, oh, well, Noam Chomsky says that you should vote for the uh, lesser View. Uh, who fucking cares? Right. It's like, <laughs> Noam Chomsky doesn't pay, Noam Chomsky doesn't pay my bills. <laughs> like what's like, what he gonna do? Like Noam Chomsky better run the fucking jewels if he wants me to. Like, he wants, He can buy my vote if he wants it. Like yes, I'm not gonna do it for anything he's important.
1: he's allowed to be right on some things and wrong on others. <laughs>
0: yeah, just like Bernie Sanders. And also, like,
2: yeah, I mean, Noam Chomsky belongs to, I think, a long line. And, you know, the validity of his work, to me, is like, okay, it's fine. You know, I think his work has a lot of value um, in the political sphere. Is it, like, as groundbreaking as I, I mean, is it as mind-blowing as other people seem to find it? Not to me. Again, personal preferences. I, I read his book after I read a lot of other things, so a lot of it was, like, you know, background already for me. The point is, um, like, they, there is this brand of, I guess we can call it, like, liberal socialists in America who just don't believe in revolution, you know, more or less. They just don't believe in it. They don't believe that any gains that you can't that you they don't believe they don't believe in the legitimacy of any gains that you get outside of the electoral system or the legitimate, you know, the legitimate rhetorical uh framework that we have of like, oh, I've convinced you with like an op ed or in a debate to like change your mind, etcetera, et cetera. That that for them, you know, falls outside of the realm of uh, legitimate solutions to or legitimate pathways towards a socialist or communist or whatever you know they consider themselves to be and that's just like again the the hegemony of the United States of America it's just you know it's part of the liberal neoliberal neoconservative hegemony of the United States of America that sort of takes socialism and says yeah you can have this framework for understanding you know the way the power works in society take the communism you know et cetera, et cetera. but it says like hey you know what all the revolutionary aspects of it get rid of that You know, uh, get get, get rid of those things. You're free to be whatever you want, as long as you just defang it, you know, to be in these spaces. So, I mean, Noam Chomsky's free to believe that uh, Bernie Sanders is free to believe that that's all fine and good. But I think we are entering this stage of America where if we were not so heavily indoctrinated to believe in the perpetuity or the like the guarantee of America to always exist, a lot more people would be afraid about where America is right now. Like well, I think we're, you know, even mainstream sources are recognizing that America is on its decline as the global hegemon. Which to me says that oh no, it's over already. You've, <laughs> we've already lost, uh, and now it's all over but the crying. And so, <laughs> I, as from my perspective, so from my perspective, like yeah, the people are free to believe whatever they want. I'm like, this, it's a free country for now, you know, <laughs> whatever.
0: Free-ish. Yeah.
2: Our, our country fucking sucks. I Our country sucks worse than most dystopian novels, because at least in, in um fucking, what was it, A Brave New World, drugs were legal.
1: <laughs>
0: Fair <laughs> enough. I've heard about, I've heard people talk about these uh, uprisings, really, as the first bread riots of the COVID era. I think that is uh, certainly an evocative analysis. And I've been thinking a lot about how we turn this from rebellion into at least the seeds of revolution, right? How do we broaden the message um, while still centering the importance of black lives and black liberation to a more general anti-capitalist, anti-oppression one? Um, And I think one important factor is to emphasize the centrality of white supremacy to uh, the capitalist system, right? And conversely, the importance of black liberation to any anti-capitalist project and um, showing that this is really not just a fringe issue, right? We're not just doing identity politics out there, or rather, we're not doing liberal identity politics out there, but that this is something that really connects up to every other issue. And, um, like the, the organized left as such needs to ask itself, you know, what do we have to do? What steps do we need to take in order to even be, have the legitimacy to participate in this and shape it and in some sort of uh, leadership role? Because I don't think we have that right now.
2: I mean, I, I heard those critiques of the, the Black Lives Matter protests early about how they weren't anti-capitalist enough in their direct, you know, their direct messaging. But to me, that, that smacks as being incredibly entitled to the idea that, you know, do you think the left has enough power to be picky about which vectors it uses to, like, carve away state power in America? Wow. <laughs> uh, we had an entire propaganda campaign, like, launched against a democratic socialist in a, you know, in a democratic party primary. Like, but like, but we can be picky about all the, you know, what gets people in the streets. That's amazing to me. Um, from my perspective, like, look, uh, it, if people need to have, if people need to have it laid out for them that the, that the, like that the police state exists or rather that racism and exists as part of a propaganda campaign to allow for certain, or rather, let me rephrase it this way. If people are incapable of understanding the interconnectedness of racism and capitalism and the police state and, you know, their stakes in those things just by nature of like not being black, that to me, I think, is another example of the failure of our media, of our media culture and also of our education system. Right. You know, it's it's very it's quite easy to look at, you know, the police Killing black people as an issue, as an ethnic issue, and you know, as sad as it is, once you make it an ethnic issue, it's easy for people to ignore it. You know, it, it was it was easy to make the no dapple protests an ethnic issue when the issue was like, no, you know, it's going to kill the planet, right? I mean, I've because been, like, the,
1: I've been guilty of ignoring Italian American issues because I just see it as an ethnic. Issue you know like uh all the racism you see on t v against italian american businessmen you know i I'm, I'm guilty of that myself i mean uh th- they fired officer spaghetti for, for <laughs> uh but no, so like
2: I-, I think this becomes uh just like this is just a failure of people to to like understand a very like you know just very simple things like look at the way um, like do you think that America or rather do you think that we would have a country that where we have military military equipment uh wielding barely educated wife beaters roaming the streets executing people uh with no. With like executing people extrajudicially and like seeing no, like basically no justice, if it weren't for like racism as an excuse. It's like, how can you justify America's police force existing uh, as an anomaly in the entire developed world? Like, Not like, yeah, you did. I mean, definitely people fall into the trap of going, okay, well, the cops kill more white people than black people. And then it becomes an argument, like, oh, well, that's per capita versus, it's like, okay, yeah, but the reason cops are allowed to kill more white people in America uh, than all of the cops in all the European countries combined are allowed to kill white people for most part is because they also kill a lot of black people. It's just like, do you think that we would allow a police force to exist in America that just killed large numbers of white people uh, and net, like without the uh, the existence of an inborn threat population that justifies them? Of course not. That's, that's, quite, that's quite silly, right? You know, this is not, and this is not just a black issue. Black people are the canary in the coal mine when it comes to a lot of things, just like native populations are the canary in the coal mine when it comes to a lot of things, just like women are the canary, just like a lot of marginalization, marginalized populations are canaries in the coal mine. But like America's police force is out of control. Like it is, compl- like, it's, it's amazing that people can look at them and not see a real problem when no other country exists like this. Like no other country exists with the police force that America has. And they are allowed to exist this way for the most part because people believe that we have a a population of people who are native to the country, who are just a criminal element. They are naturally innately criminal. And the only way to keep them from being criminal, and the only way to keep our society safe because they can't be expected to abide by the general law and order is to have their neighborhoods and schools occupied by a domestic, uh, domestic army. And like, it's so weird that people make this an issue of like, well, do they kill more white or black people when it's like, they're allowed to kill black people i mean they're allowed to kill white people because they're because of this narrative of racism they're allowed to prey on the entire america they're allowed to beat their wives they're allowed like their are white wives i would assume you know they're allowed or black wives or whoever knows at this point they're allowed to beat their kids they're allowed to exist in all these criminal behaviors in a way that other countries do not allow simply because of you know this narrative of racism and you can may say the same thing about our lack of you know, basic infrastructure. A lot of the reason we don't have a lot of basic infrastructure is because you have a few white people and, you know, who like are skilled enough rhetorically to get people to believe that it's worth giving up their own basic happiness to make sure that the wrong people don't get the wrong things, that the wrong people don't benefit from the state. And that is such, again, a flawed understanding of how society functions that we have to start by just rebuilding our ideological, you know, our ideological... Um, infrastructure and there's and like and honestly, considering how America was founded and like the, the core components of America, there's really no better way besides like tackling racism, right? Like that's like that's is that racism is the veneer by which capitalism gets away with a lot of shit in this country. But again, you know, I hate to be that person. A lot of people who are coming out as anti-BLM pro- pro- protest, they're just like they're just contrarians. It's like they they they're just against anything that doesn't center them they're against anything that's not about them they're against anything that does is like, not cuz they're just you know it's just it's what it is but they they i wouldn't even consider them to be class reductionists with the you know with right. what they've been termed because like they don't have any real like coherent politics they don't have another idea for what people should be doing because i don't i can't i can't imagine like someone who thinks that class is the root of all problems the root of all oppression you know looking at the police force being defunded and going like this is not right (laughs) that's that's not is that what class reductionists believe is that like you should we should have a dome yeah go ahead
1: uh, no, I was, was going to say it's I mean, you've seen these people come out of the woodwork and it is this this basic knee jerk contrarianism. But it also I think they're hanging on to this like deep and abiding nihilism and cynicism. That's a, it's like a generational thing for the last couple of generations from like, I guess, Gen X down to millennials down to uh, generation uh, Gen Z people like there's a deep nihilism in this country and the, and a cynicism that anything could possibly change or that. At the, end of, at the end of the day, that anybody could believe strongly in anything, right, to believe enough in some sort of vision of a better world that they'd be willing to sacrifice on the streets and have a valid struggle against something. I mean, those people, they're like the dead enders of, I think, like a pre-COVID era where it was possible to sit back and be like, well, this, is, this doesn't affect me Plus, it's cringe. I don't like it. I'm just going to sit back and talk shit about it. I don't think that people can't do that anymore. And you see that in the streets. The
2: problem, I think, with that is that, like, for the most part, the goal of the propaganda that we are subjected to is just to get you to conform. It's just to get you to, like, either conform or not resist too much. Like, you know, not like not make not actually try to instigate any real change outside of channels that have been already, you know, handled more or less handled so that they cannot they, they, they won't necessarily turn out well. And so I think part of liberalism, part of what we've been indoctrinated in, it, part, you know, part of what we've been indoctrinated with is this belief that how we get to supporting the status quo or not resisting it is valuable. Like that, that, that like that there is some inherent value to a self-actualized conformity. That, like, all, you know, like, you shouldn't, like, you know, it's, it's the idea, like, yeah, you know what, you're smarter than the average person because you identify that the system is bad. You know that the that the, co- the corporation you work for is evil, but you still do your fucking job. <laughs> you still do your fucking job. And it's just, like, they don't care if you know. Like, like, that's, like that, like, that's, like, the fallacy of the ego, like, that your company cares if you think they're evil. Like, no, they don't. They care if you do your job. They care if you complain too much about getting paid. They care if you try to unionize. Like, you know, the government or, like, whatever, the powers that be don't care why you choose not to change things. They don't want you to change anything. So, like, like, it's not a value to understand. It's not not like it's, you know, it's easy to trick yourself into thinking that, like, you know, your individualized pathway to be to supporting the status quo is of merit or, like, transgressive. But it's not. It's just like they don't care. But they, they don't like they don't care why, the, you know, Bezos doesn't care why you don't do X, Y or Z as long as you don't like make trouble for him. You know, I think people are right. In this so far, it's like, yeah, does, you know, does Amazon, does Bezos, does, you know, uh, fucking Bill Gates see the BLM protests as a direct threat to them? Of course not. Why would they? You know, that, that doesn't mean it's not. That doesn't mean it can't be one day. <laughs> that doesn't mean that it can't weaken the things that will one day protect them. I think, again, it's flawed to think that, like, the BLM protests now, the people who are sitting back in their, you know, their gamer chairs laughing about people not wanting to get killed by the cops, it's like, yeah, um, in 20 or 30 years when you're, like, at the water riots, exactly, at the water protests, the breadline protests when they run out of clean water, they, those same cops are going to be cracking your fucking head, too. Like, and they're going to be like, quoted, they're going to be quote-tweeting you, <laughs> like, ha-ha, like, laughing at your ass. It's like, it's, like it's all, but, that, but, the, but that's how it works. It, it works by getting you to think of think of this police problem as a blacks-only problem. And by the time you realize that it's an everyone problem, your, your head's already cracked open. You're already bleeding. You're already bleeding on the ground. It's like, oh, how come, you know, how come me, an upper-middle-class person, is being treated this way? That, no offense, but that was a lesson of Occupy, too, that has been forgotten.
0: Yeah. And, you know, maybe on the same uh, thread, uh, a lot of the white liberals who are participating in this now who think they're still within a liberal framework, they think, oh, I'm doing this to be good because I care about black people. Um, The realization, I think, will gradually dawn on them that, uh, you know, if the left does its job, this is not only an issue that affects black people this is connected to every other issue in society because i mean on a very basic level uh white supremacy has been used to divide the working class and keep them in a a subordinate position for many many years and you know That class compromise is breaking down to some degree, as we've talked about before on this show. You know, when people are increasingly immiserated, the fact that, you know, people of a different race are more immiserated than you means less and less when your absolute quality of life is not so great
1: yeah and i think i would say too that uh you see a lot of this divide in the rhetoric of allyship versus solidarity right so the liberal uh, I'm, i'm caricaturing right but a liberal thing is to say like you come down to the protest and you show support for somebody else's struggle you stand as an ally in their fight right as you paternalistically try to help them out or of course the so, the uh, socialist idea the, is that uh, we're in solidarity with one another, not because we feel bad or we're doing charity for another group, but because we recognize that all of our struggles are united, that we're fighting as one because ultimately their fight is our fight.
2: Uh, frankly, I agree with everything you just said, and I would just highlight what uh, Jamie said first, where it's like, yeah, that's what I want. I want liberals in a protest to understand again going back to the idea of extricating them from like the modern you know mainstream propaganda networks that we call media the highly efficient ones like part of that has been fucking up their moral code part of that has been fucking up their understanding of what racism is part of that has been fucking up just their understanding of how like the world works and how to affect change and so yeah i want them to think going out into streets is good because the media has done everything in its power along with you know politicians and education to strip the idea of mass politics as being effective out of people's minds They people don't think protesting works i mean. In combination with laws that make it legal to run over protesters, like there's been this sort of quiet, not quiet, there's been this sort of obvious derision or obvious sort of like... Uh, disregard for the value of mass politics outside of electoralism by out by liberal media like you know look at how they ignored Bernie Sanders rallies look at how they ignored how they spoke just negative when they speak negatively about quote-unquote populism like you see this disdain for mass politics that is central to their ideology and so frankly we have to get liberals to like read like you know we have to sort of just like jumpstart their moral code or restore, reset their moral mm-hmm. code I think I think, for the most part, and this, and this is hard to say when I when you're so enmeshed in political communities. Uh, I think, for the most part, most Americans, by nature of like just being like indoctrinated in a wishy washy liberal society about a lot of stuff, have better instincts than most like heavily ingrained political actors. Like, I think that probably your everyday average person on the street is a better, like, is a better steward or would be a better steward of the economy, of the media state, of, like, the political, of politics than, like, the people we have now, just by nature of not being, like, a fucking uh, affected by special interests and, like, years and years of navigating those systems. So I think, you know, actually getting to talk to people, you know, whether it be one-on-one or on a podcast or your friends or whatever, whatever you feel comfortable with, and, like, really sort of not in challenging that moral code getting trying to extricate them and sort of you know supplant the liberal moral code with the leftist moral code is like it's part of this just part of the work you know you can't get you can't have people thinking that like it's good and sufficient to be, the, you know, it's good and sufficient anti-racism to, you know, to, to slap a Black Lives Matter sticker on their website. They have to know that, like, yeah, that's, that's good, but you want to really be, again, the language of it is whatever, but, like, you want to really be an ally? How about you burn down an embassy? No, <laughs> no, but, um, uh, you know, like, yeah, parody, of course, you know, this is a uh, satire, but no, like, it's, you know, it, it, it really is, I think, necess- it's it sounds bad, but it's, it's, you know, it's using the it's sometimes it's less about like articulating and arguing on logic. And just like, you know, like they say they care about these things, you know, you know lie to them a little bit, you know, <laughs> gre- gre- like, gre- gre- like, grease the rubes. I mean, it doesn't make a difference. Like, like it's like they say, oh, we, why do we have to do communism? Communism is like, you know, like old white men, Marx, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, fuck them. I'll rewrite the whole damn book. <laughs> i'll rewrite that, the book call it something fucking different no, i don't that's care that's right. just not that shit's not trademark like th- th- that doesn't mean anything to me you know why because i'm a materialist so whatever you fucking call it irrelevant we'll, we'll call it brandonism i'll call it obamaism obamaism who cares <laughs>
1: you No. Know, if, if,
2: if oh
0: that's right you had some good tweets about how we could just you know put obama's name on the cover of capital and tell the libs it's obamaism the, and they'd be totally the, down
2: the thing about I think leftists is that there are a lot of nerds out there, and a lot, and, and by nerds I mean just like people who are very you know academic types like the, the learned the readers out well not the readers no one reads on twitter <laughs> but like you know the people who consider themselves to be the scholarly type and so part of that like mindset is like a desperate need to be understood like at every level like do you understand like how deep i'm because you know part of the you know being understood by your audience is they can understand how deep your ideas are i don't need that really i mean <laughs> like, i don't think. Like, just just you can just do what i say no no i'm just saying i'm just i'm just kidding but like you know but but my critique of that is that like not everyone is going to fully be is going to be fully capable of like understanding that or fully be interested in that you know some of sometimes you just have to be okay with people like showing up to your marches doing what you tell them and sharing your memes and laundering it into like into mainstream circles and like in normalizing it you know normalizing it getting people to go from going like communism that fucking sucks to like Communism. Uh, Well, yeah, I know a lot of communists, but that seems crazy to me. Like, you know, it's just about (laughs) it's just about a slow erosion of those barriers until suddenly, you know, like they're like, like, you know, they're laughing at New York Times op eds, too.
0: Mm -hmm. That's right. And and I I think a lot of what we've been talking about, too, is the importance of um, creating. Not just the idea, but the experience of solidarity, right? Because a lot of the politics, that all, all of the politics that we want to advance are politics of solidarity. But solidarity has to be experienced to be believed. And I think... That's where a lot of what we were trying to do with the Bernie campaign or the Corbyn campaign in the UK, uh, that's where it breaks down because, you know, you saw like we talked about this in an essay that my caucus put out. You saw places where people used to be labor, um, but they voted for the Brexit and they did not vote for um, i don't understand like the uh, inner the the complex inner workings of uk stuff uh, i'll put my cards on the table there but they didn't vote they didn't vote for labor in these elections because they it, it was a politics of solidarity that they just didn't believe in they're like the best we can hope for is just do brexit just just get it done you know like solidarity has to be experienced and whenever you can get people in a situation Where they can feel that solidarity, um, like that's the base. That's what will make people more likely to vote for a Bernie Sanders or a Jeremy Corbyn. You know, like you cannot reverse engineer it just by putting those ideas out there and expecting people to vote for them when they've been told their entire lives that those things are not possible, right?
2: I mean, I think that, I agree. I agree with that. And I think that part of solidarity too, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier, people also just want community too. You know, at this point, we live in a world where people are so very heavily alienated from one another. No one has fucking friends. Uh, people have coworkers. People have like their favorite bar, but no one has friends anymore. No one has hobbies. That's why everyone is so bored now because they don't know what to do with themselves. Um, and a lot of people are just in search of community. We're an indigent, nomadic generation of people who go to, who grow up in one city, go to college in another city, then settle down in another city that, that actually has jobs. And whether or not we have friends in that city or feeling social life in that city, is, you know, not relevant to the powers that be uh, as long as we go go to and from work. And so I think that we on the left have to be a little bit more comfortable with people like understanding this is also a social project. This is uh, people looking, people are looking for friends. We can give them friends. People looking for community, we can give them community. We can give them purpose. We can give them passion. We can give them like a culture. And part of that also has to be like being unapologetic advocates for like, yeah, our community is better than the far right. It's better than liberals. It's better than the Republicans. And part of it being better means that, you know, it's not, you can't supplant uh, our materials or our, you know, obviously our intellectual tradition with theirs. You know, you can't, you know, you can't have one foot in like leftist politics, but also want to like be, a, a, you know, constantly like cite uh, mainstream sources for other things. It's, it's about actual actively being unapologetic Unapologetic advocates for the veracity of leftism and not just being like, you know, I hate to say again, nerds who are always trying to like, you know, give the pros and cons of everything. Like, you no, know, it's not like it's it's fine. She's like, you know, being on the left fucking rocks. You know, it, it's yeah, everyone, everyone, everyone on the left is fucking hot. It's like, have you seen the goblins? Have you seen the goblins <laughs> outside of the left? It's like, like shit. It's like I think that is one of the things that like, you know. People love leftist memes. People love, you know, people love leftist quotes. People love leftist uh, iconography. We can we can use that. And it, it I mean, and that doesn't mean that we can that doesn't mean we have to, let's say, uh, compromise on ideology, just necessarily compromise on the what's I'm looking for uh then the the depth of knowledge necessary to be involved or the depth of knowledge necessary to be active I, I don't think we have to like compromise in terms of like in terms of our hard limits i think you have to have hard limits because if you don't have hard limits you're not a political party you're not you're not, you're not a political ideology without like ba- without boundaries and you're nothing because like you know because part of ideology is what you leave out and so if you can't have a big tent ideology party that's just not how it works um so you know, I think so Like that's kind of a table for me, but part of it, like, hey, people just want to show up to DSA meetings, like, the game night, because they don't have any fucking friends, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> you know, in fact, DSA should have more game nights. That's, that's all they should do. Like, oh, you are free drinks, free pizza? Uh, I don't know, play the, what's a good leftist song in the back? Let's play uh, um, uh, Run the Jewels in the background the entire time. That's fine. If, like, but, like, getting making, like, a real community and not just, like, a study group <laughs> is the key, to, I think, is one key to victory.
0: That's right. I mean, we see a lot of hand-wringing from people who are like, oh, the left it shouldn't be a subculture, it shouldn't be a church, uh, like... I agree that it shouldn't be an insular subculture, but it should be a culture. And you probably shouldn't shit on the church, considering it's one of the most successful working class institutions ever known to humanity. You know, like it should not be a subculture. It should be a culture that does all of the things you just said and more. And, you know, the more maybe once all of your friends are communists, you'll try to learn more take it seriously go to the reading group too uh but if you don't like that's fucking fine i don't know play the game on whatever level you want
2: exactly you know play the game on whatever level you want but you got to play but you got to play by the rules (laughs) <laughs> there's a reality, you can, play the, you can play the game by whatever difficulty you'd like, but you still have to play to by the rules, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there are certain rules you have to play by because that's what defines the ideology, right? That's what find, defines the culture. I don't know what people say when they mean they don't want to be, like, a church or a religion because that's just, like, that's just what people who are, like, lazy, armchair, like, sociologists say because there are lots of religions. There are lots of, like, churches, and they don't all act the same way. So, like, when people are like, they don't want to be like a religion, like, well, like, what religion do you mean, like that that just like that's just like a lazy way to sound like people are like being smart online. That goes back to like I feel like the two thousand fourteen art sargon of a cod type fucking anti SJW videos. We just like where he would just like look at like I don't know, like a protest at a women's like gender studies department at like a liberal arts college in like maine and just go like blimey these people are like a religion and people are just like a hundred thousand likes it's just like we're we've moved past that point um we've moved past that like that point of analysis i would hope
0: I i would hope so too i think the people doing it are a vocal minority of online weirdos and we don't really have to worry about it too much um but
2: I mean, I would rather be—I would rather be a church than not exist at all. Hundred percent. I'll, I'll put that right, right there. You know, if it, if it comes down between like having like a mindless cabal of like socialists or just like doing this forever, you know what? Mm. Uh, again, frankly, I'm not that picky about it, right? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, this is this is a materialist project, right? This is mm-hmm. about like actively, actively affecting change, not having people, you know, listen to and subscribe and become a Patreon of my podcast, The Discourse, at Patreon.com backslash expanded discourse. Which they um, should
1: do, of course
2: which they should i mean what you can do this is about like actually trying to do like pull it to affect political change the better the world and so like understanding is a portion of that but so is just like providing people with a community that has rules and purpose and regulations and you know it just gives them a level of that kind of of solidarity you know i think it's I think it's okay to expect things from people in exchange for things that you're providing. That's just reciprocity, okay. and part of the reciprocity of the left being a, an actual community is okay. Like, hey, well, you know, you have to abide by the community's rules. I don't know why people sort of feel like the left is the only portion of the political spectrum that's not allowed to have any rules. Everyone else can just do whatever the fuck they want, but the left has to have some like some complete uh, acceptance of bullshit. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I think that's like- that's insecurity.
1: I think in a lot of ways because a lot of the detritus of the 20th century has been wiped away by material conditions changing it's incumbent on all of us to create that like and I think that's in the process of happening right now and as much as it might seem cringe to some people podcasts are part of that just as like fun meetings uh, playing video games and drinking and eating pizza is part of that too but I appreciate it Brendan you already pre-plugging your uh, podcast for our listeners out there to check out Anything else you'd like to plug before we go? Um, oh, you meant like uh, project-wise? No, I
2: don't do anything um, <laughs> besides the podcast. But you can, of course, follow me at Pretty Bad Lefty on Twitter. And you know, it's always a pleasure to sit down with you know you two and you shoot the shit, talk about politics. You know, I think I think we're all vaping.
1: That's cool. Yes, vaping's cool. I'm sure you would tell the uh, the kids out there to start lifting, right? During COVID, because that's one of your big things?
2: I mean, it was. You can't lift anymore. Everyone's going to rooftop bars, but gyms are still closed because whatever. No, that's it's, it's America.
1: That's tyranny. We need Hamilton to come and show us the light of the way. But uh, My right to be yoked is my right to be just straight up fucking yoked. Like, <laughs> just like
2: a, a straight up fucking juggernaut is being infringed by the rights of people to
1: live. Honestly, that's uh, as, that's as a, a plausible vision of freedom as like any of the MAGA people have ever provided for us. But Brendan, this was a, a pleasure as always, and I think it was about a year since we had you last, so let's make sure it's not a year again until we get you back on the show. To be I mean, I don't think America had them of year, but sure, yeah, definitely. Okay, we'll be doing it from the uh post COVID red riot wasteland. We'll see you there. See you in the street.
2: Middle America can see me in my black skin? Number one question they ask him. Fucking big question you ask me. If I don't get ran of my Catholics, they're also conservative Baptists. Claiming I'm overreacting like the black kids in Shirak, bitch. Going the Mona, and I'm zoning, they say I'm possessed. It's the omen, I keep it 300. Like the Romans, 300. Hundred bitches, where the Trojans, baby. be living in the moment. I've been a menace for the longest, but I ain't finished. I'm devoted, and you know it, and you know it. So follow me up 'cause this shit about to go. I'm doing 500, I'm out of control, but there's nowhere to go, and there's no way to slow. If I knew what I knew in the past, I would have been blacked that
0: on your ass.